Let's go to Colossians chapter 4 tonight. Taught this morning on, on Jesus teaching us to pray. We lose the discipline of praying. And um, the challenge, of course, with discipline is, is you can go too far into it and it becomes a ritual, a routine, a religious, something you do by rote. Uh, that's one ditch. The other ditch is not by having you know, no discipline, no, no routine at all. Uh, you end up, you get into a thing called prayerlessness where you just don't pray. You just kind of pray as it happens. And um, I think that's a ditch as well. I think the middle ground that we're shooting for is a discipline uh, that comes out of desire. And uh, Jesus will teach us to pray. Uh, the disciples asked him, asked him to teach them how to pray, and he went right to it. He told them. And I found myself praying that again this week. Lord, teach me how to pray. I've, I find the discipline, and I lose it, and I find it, and I lose it. That's true of fasting. That's true of meditation. It's true of other things as well. And so, um, but I don't want to become religious and, and just do it out of commandment. It has to come out of a wellspring of desire. And... Um, so Jesus incited the disciples' desires, uh, and uh, I thought we'd look at one of those desires a little bit more close up. Why don't you go with me to Colossians chapter 4. Look at um, look at the beginning in verse 12. There's a guy named Ephrus who is a Colossi, and uh, it doesn't say this here, but I think he's the guy that started the church at Colossae. And Paul, Paul had never been there before. He wrote to them, he said, you've never seen my face. And so he'd never been there. I've been to Colossae. It's just a big hill. There's a city underneath it. It hasn't been excavated. Uh, but it's very close to Laodicea, just a few kilometers from Laodicea in another place called Hierapolis, and uh, where there was a church. And Ephesus is no longer in Colossae. He's in prison. He's in prison in Rome with Paul. So Paul's writing from Rome, and he says to them, Ephesus, who's one of you, a bondservant of Christ. In other words, he's really committed. He's, he's really committed to Christ. He greets you. He says hello. Then he says this, Ephesus is always laboring fervently in prayer for you that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God that's a powerful powerful verse first of all he's laboring so there's a work to it and that's that's where discipline comes in prayer is not easy and it's not for wimps when you really go at it you're really praying especially when you're wanting to make a difference in people's lives and so he says he's laboring but he's not just laboring he's getting sweaty He's, he's really, he's laboring fervently. So you put two really strong words together. And this guy, Paul can hear him. Maybe, I don't know how it was. If he was in another cell, Paul could hear him groaning and, 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 and crying out and raising his voice or pacing or slapping the wall or what, whatever he was doing. Paul said, that guy's going at it. He's really, really going at it in prayer. And he's praying for his church, which is really amazing if you stop and think about it. When was the last time you got sweaty in prayer praying for Wellspring? 
ever. He's, he's praying for his church. He had a belief that they weren't in the will of God, but the will of God was something that had to be prayed through, and if he didn't pray, it wasn't going to happen. It wasn't Kesra, Sarah, whatever will be, will be, that as you kind of coast along, you're just naturally flowing in the will of God. He didn't believe that. He believed that God had a written purpose, written in heaven, written before the world even was, before Colossae ever was, before anything was, that God wrote his heart's desire for Colossae, for this church. And that tells me that churches have purposes. And I, I'll just say this. Our purpose is not to gather and be in a nice warm building and have wonderful worship like we had tonight and to sit in comfortable pews and, and have a little meeting every now and again. That can't be it. Jesus couldn't have died for that. He died for us to do something together, to be something. He's died for us to help win the loss and to change nations and to impact our community and to anyone who comes here and sits among us, that their life is improved, that they, they grow, that they change. Something, something bigger than us just hearing a nice sermon week by week. That can't be it. That can't be it. Ephraim believed that God had a purpose for his church and that it had to be procured. It had to be insisted upon. It had to be brought from heaven to earth through prayer, which is exactly what Jesus said. When they said, teach us to pray, Jesus said, here's how you pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, in worship, hallowed be, your na hallowed be thy name. Thy will, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He said, that's how you pray. There's a will of God that's in heaven, in a book. I believe it's in a volume. And on the judgment day, these volumes will be open, and you'll see what God destined for you. You'll also see what you did in contrast to what he destined for you. And if your life is boring and empty and aimless and not going anywhere and not producing anything, he didn't write that life. He, did, he couldn't have written that life. And so Aphorus knew that it just didn't happen automatically. This is a radical thing to say, but I believe that there are Christians who've never seen and never stood inside the will of God for their life. Born again, going to heaven, but not standing in what God destined for them. Because the only way you can get that is a, a consistent believing and praying and asking, not just once, but a lifetime of, of coming into and seeking and adjusting and chasing the will of God. It's a, it becomes our quest. It's our great quest in life to know the will of God for our life. He never wanted you to bumble and fumble your way through this life. He wanted you to like a heat-seeking missile, come into what he had purposed for you. The only way to get there is you're going to have to pray it through. And probably, probably no one on the planet is praying for you like that. You're going to have to pray for yourself. You're going to have to pray for your kids. You're going to have to pray for your loved ones. You're going to have to pray for your future spouse. Someone, someone has to go after this. I do pray for uh, the people in our church, but I probably... Don't pray on this level for you to come into the will of God. There's times, there's crisis moments, there's difficult moments where I really do labor for the people in our church. But no one's going to pray for you. No one has the invested interest in, in your life like you. Aphorus believed, and Paul must have believed because he wrote this, 
Paul must have believed that the will of God doesn't happen automatically, that it has to be insisted upon. Someone has to pray it through. In Ephesus, he said, I'm the one. I love my church. I love my people. The only way my, 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 my people are going to come into, listen to what he says here. He says, um, uh, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. He's believing for that. He's not just taking life as it comes. And this fits in, this fits in terms of desire. This should stoke a desire. This shouldn't put a burden on a false burden or uh, another strand of legalism. It should cause us to say, I want, I want a life that makes sense. I want a life that works. I want a blessed life. I want a life that does something, that accomplishes something. I'm going to have to pray it in. And, and God will let you do that. He's, I bear witness to him that he has a great zeal for you. For those of Laodicea and Hierapolis, which are nearby. Go with me to 1 John. Turn right. And I believe John wrote 1 John after he'd already been to heaven. I believe that because it's so powerful. It's such a unique book. But he writes several things here that I think worthy are worthy of uh, our study tonight and um, might help us in this whole thing of becoming more prayerful, more disciplined in our praying. Beginning in verse nine, 19. By this we know that we're of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Now, the word pleasing here uh, is his, we want to do those things that please God or pleasure. That's the word, that's a Greek word called thalma. If you take the word pleasure or pleasing, and then you look at the word will of God, the will of God, it's the same word. So uh, if we're living a life where we're seeking to please God, not just to please ourselves or please our people who are trying to control our lives, but we're trying to please God. He says, uh, if you are doing that and you're keeping his commandments, and the commandments aren't the Ten Commandments, the commandments are the body of teaching of Jesus. Not just what he taught orally, but how he lived, what, he, what his standard of living was, his, his, the purpose of his life. He says what happens is you get a confidence. You get an audacity in prayer. And he says this confidence, this confidence allows you to believe that you can receive things from God in prayer. I meet Christians all the time who have no confidence in prayer for themselves. They have no confidence, either because of a pattern of uh, uh, selfishness, a pattern of sin, a pattern of uh, living in death, um, a, a pattern of, of just constantly going backwards and 
not really going forward, and it reduces our confidence. This confidence, this assurance is everything. This assurance, what they do, uh, often they'll say, would you pray for me? And what they're saying is, I believe, I believe God will hear you, but I don't think he'll hear me if I pray. I just don't have any confidence that he'll really answer my prayer. So, so would you pray for me? You probably get prayers like that or prayer requests like that all the time. But there's something that John was saying. He said there's a, there's a confidence. And if you're praying the wrong thing for the wrong reason, your heart will let you know. Your heart will condemn you because God's greater than your heart. And so what happens is uh, it's almost like you, you're praying for something and you, you hit a red light in your heart. And you can actually feel it. It's not a fear. It's not a pulpiting. Uh, it's not a pulsing uh, sensation. It's a sense that that's, that's a dead end. It's like, uh, I just, it doesn't release me to really go after something in prayer. And so when I'm praying, I'll, I'll pray down these, it's almost like a, like little alleys. And I'll try to, I'm trying to find that confidence, I'm trying to find that assurance and, and so I'll, I'll, I'll pray along a certain line, and I, it just doesn't feel right. I'm just not getting anywhere. My heart won't let me insist on something that's not God's will. So I'll back out of that, and I'll say, well, you know, I'll go down, and I'll, and I'll, I'll come in, and I'll pray this. And when I pray this, it's like this, it's like a green light. It's like a traffic light that turns green that says you're, you're praying the right way. You have to become sensitive. That's the value of fasting is if you're, if you're listening to social media all the time and news, the news cycle will, will rob you, uh, especially these days. It's so crazy. And if you, were, I mean, you need to be abreast of something, but boy, just limit your, <laughs> limit your intake. What you want is a sensitive spirit. You want to be able to read what's going on inside of you. And you can even find it when just in your conversation, you go to say something, you get this... Kind of what we call it a check, a sense that that's not the way to go. That's not the thing to say. So you back out of that, and you're, and you're trying to find it, and then you find this assurance. You find this velvety green light that opens up that allows you to go in a certain direction. No one can train you how to do that. You have to find that in prayer. But he's saying that there's a confidence and an assurance and then there's a condemnation that comes. He says, whatever we ask, look at verse 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Every prayer, it's possible, it's possible to never waste a prayer that you don't actually make a petition of God or a supplication of God until you know that's exactly what he wants. And when you say, I know this is what your will is, I'm asking that you do it. With it comes this truckload of assurance that you have what you petitioned. You have what you prayed. That assurance is worth everything. Because that assurance, that assurance will keep you until the answer comes and you can see it with your eyes. There's so many things. I live in assurance that I know what I prayed is God's will. I know it's going to happen. I just have to wait for it. Everything in God you have to wait for. But that assurance keeps me from being worried. It keeps me from being uh, fretful about the whole thing. I, I, that assurance is everything. Old timers, I don't see anyone here. Rodney may know. He's one of the oldest guys here. He may know. 
you may not know this language, but there is a thing, you, you're, you've heard your dad, you've heard your grandpa say this, I know this. He called it praying through. He said, you pray until you pray through. You have to pray it through. You have to pray till you pray through. What they're talking about is this velvety field, this open space, this, this glorious green light on the inside of you that says, you have it. You have it. You have this assurance that hits you, and you say, I've got it. It may take a month, it may take 10 days, it may take a year. It doesn't, I know, I know, I have a knowing, an assurance that what I ask, God's going to do. Now, you, you don't stop praying until you have that assurance. That's called praying through. Have you ever heard that expression before? It's an old-timers kind of, I hear, when I was first in the church, I would hear that. The old-timers would say, did you pray through? Have you prayed through yet on that? They're talking about a, a condition in prayer that you could know in your heart that you have it before you see it, and then you rest in it. That's what, that's what he's writing about here. Now watch this. Let's go to chapter 5. Look at verse 14 and 15. Now this is the confidence. There we go again. That confidence, the assurance that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us. Uh, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we have asked of him. You can actually know before you see the answer. You know with confidence, God heard me. The answer's on the way. I know I prayed the will of God. I know that I prayed what he would pray. I know I prayed right. I just have to wait for the answer to come. And you live in a state of assurance. That's, a, that's a, a wonderful place to be. Because there's often a roller coaster ride in anything you're believing for emotionally, an emotional roller coaster, while you're waiting for the thing. But it's possible to say, I'm not getting into that thing. I'm not, I'm not going to be all over the map. I'm not going to be up and down. Uh, there's not going to be a big bounce in my life emotionally, highs and lows. I've asked God for what I believe was his will with that came a sense of knowing, a sense of assurance that what I prayed was his will. When I pray his will, he leans into it, he tilts his head, he hears me, and he says, you have what you prayed for. First time I discovered this, because uh, I guess the reason is, is so often we get so frustrated with pr the whole process of praying because we go after something and then nothing ever happens. It doesn't come about. And you can't do that too many times without quitting the process of praying. Your heart won't endure it. You have to see answers to prayer. I remember as a young disciple, I needed a car. Uh, Heather's car, a little Corona, uh, it started smoking. I had stopped smoking, but it started smoking out of the console. And uh, that was it. She started walking to work, and I started believing for a car. And um, I'm seeking the Lord, and I'm praying. And as I'm praying, I have an assurance from him that he's going to give me a car. And so I turned to Heather, and Heather's faith is really, really new 
at this time. And I turned to her and I said, don't worry about it. God spoke to me. He showed me. I didn't hear a voice, but I knew in my heart that that he heard me. And I said, God's going to give us a car today. And she rolled her eyeballs and walked to work. So I had my, my pastor friend, had, uh, I'd driven him to the airport. He left me his car, and, and uh, then I was going to pick him up at the airport. So I had his car for a few days so I can get around, and, and uh, I was going to a conference on, you know, to hear uh, teaching and that kind of stuff. And uh, so I, I thought, the Lord said he's going to give me this car today. Where would the Lord give me a car? Like, how would that ever happen? And I thought, well, maybe, I don't know why I thought this. I thought, well, I'll go to the busiest place near my town, or where I live, was a bus terminal. And I thought, well, I'll go to the bus terminal. And I just pictured someone walking up to me and give me the keys to a car. And, and so I went to the bus terminal, and I waited around, and just waited for that person to walk up to me and give me the keys to the car. And I waited, and I waited, and I waited my heart began to lose altitude. And after spending and wasting a morning waiting for someone to give me a car, I started thinking, I, I've missed it. I've really missed it. And I went out to get in the pastor's car. And there's a great big fat parking ticket on the windshield. So not only did I not get the car, I got a fine. Then I might have to go to Heather and say, I got this fine today. So my, I was in trouble. I went home, and I laid down on the couch. I was so discouraged with this whole process, this whole exploring prayer. And I went home, and I laid on the couch and put my arm across my eyes and said, Lord, please forgive me. I, I missed it. I, I, really, I really blew it big time. I'm going to have to pay a parking ticket on my pastor's car, my friend's car. I said, Lord, what did I do wrong? He said, you added, you added something that I didn't say. What did I add? He said, you, you added today. Oh, that means <laughs> I'm still going to get the car. It's just not as soon because there's something we want everything now. We want everything now. We don't like the wait. And so I added that, and I said, Lord, please forgive me for adding that to it. But I thank you for the assurance the original assurance I had that there's a car on the way. And we had to wait a few more months, but there was a day when someone actually handed me the set of, had a set of keys to a car. And by the time that happened and the keys actually were in my hand, I was off praying and I had already moved on to other prayer projects. The knowing by faith that that assurance is actually so solid and so good, by the time the answer comes, it really doesn't mean that much to you, but you've already been living in the knowing of having that answer to prayer. Even though I wasn't driving the answer to prayer, I had it. And so there's a part of it, you just move on to the next thing that you're praying through. This assurance in your heart is everything. It's a major key that makes prayer a lot more exciting, a lot more fulfilling, Rather than, it just takes those blind alleys, those dead ends out of praying. You have to kind of be sensitive and say, okay, now what's my heart saying? Is your heart, when it says condemning, I think that's a check. And it took me a while to figure out that every fear I had was not a check. I had to learn that. But that sense that that's not, that's not the will of God. That's not the mind of God. Your own heart, I'm not even talking about the Holy Ghost. I'm talking about you your heart on the inside of you knows things, especially when it's in prayer and God, who's greater than our heart, can actually assure our spirits of what's, 
what's the right thing to pray or the right thing to say or the right place to go or what trip to take. And my whole life, ever since that time, has been weighing stuff. In my, I'm, what's going on inside of me? What's, what's my heart saying in this thing? When I have that assurance, I, I can't tell you how wonderful that is, that I know that I know that I know that I have the petitions that I've asked of him, that he's heard me. It just allows me to wait a lot, a lot easier. And when that thing comes up and I still haven't seen it and it comes up, I can just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for hearing me. Thank you for answering that prayer. Thank you that it's taken care of. And I can avoid that whole nasty cycle of anxiety and worry that just robs us of our life. You have to listen to what's going on inside of you. And I think that's the value of, of uh, finding a disciplined prayer life where we can do these things consistently. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4. Back towards Colossians. Philippians chapter 4. This anxiety thing, it's a real killer. I find people, uh, they're just absolutely uh, shaking with anxiety because they're praying for stuff. I don't think they're praying right. I don't think you can be shaking with anxiety and really be praying right. I don't think those two things can happen in the same heart. There's something amiss. There's something wrong. You could say, uh, well, just hold that Philippian verse right there. James says, he says, he says uh, you have not because you ask not. You ask not because you ask amiss, or you have not because you ask amiss. The whole idea is you can pray selfishly and try to bulldoze your way into the will of God. James says you won't get it. You won't get a, You won't get an answer to your prayer because, a prayer to, because you've asked amiss. You've asked for some kind of selfish thing. So it's possible to actually insist on something and almost like using your fasting and your prayer time as holding God hostage or a hunger strike to make him do what you're wanting him to do, he won't play with it. He won't participate. He says, James says, you're asking amiss. You're asking for selfish reasons. So we got to back out of that and say, now, I, what I want to do is I want to pray in a way that pleases God, in a way that aligns my, my prayers with his will. Let's look at Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 6. <laughs> Actually, let's go back up to verse 4. He's writing this from prison, the same cell, the same time that he wrote the letter to the Colossians. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. There's no underlining back then, and so he says it twice. He's writing this from prison when he doesn't know that any day the door can creak open and this great big burly Roman soldier can come in with a sword and, and take him out and cut off his head or feed him to the lions. It could happen any moment. And he says, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice always. Rejoice in the Lord, always. And again, I say rejoice. What an amazing heart condition uh, he's come into. Then he says this, be anxious for nothing. Again, writing from a prison cell, He's sitting there in prison, and, and he's got to a place where there's no anxiety about the future or where this thing is going to, where it's headed. He has no anxiety, and he could write to them, look at, be anxious for nothing. Nothing is a zero with the hole rubbed out. 
is nothing, nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There's a peace that will act like a, a guard against anxiety and fears and what-ifs. And it will guard your heart and your mind. And the way to get that peace is you have to, with thanksgiving, supplicate and pray so that you can get away from the anxiety. Let's take this apart for a minute. This is worth it. This little sermon in the next five minutes is worth its weight in gold. If you're anxious, you're not praying properly. He doesn't want you to be anxious. He wants you to have confidence. He wants you to have assurance. How do you get away from the anxiousness? Well, he says you get away from the anxiousness by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving. That's a combination. Those three things are powerful. And you could take one of them out and it won't work. All three of them are going to be needed. When you listen to people pray, they basically pray two kinds of prayers. One is supplication, which is asking, God, do this, do that. Do this, do this. Would you do this, do that. Please do this, please do that. That's called supplicating. And when you listen to kids pray, that's how they pray. They say, all right, come on, kids, let's gather around, let's pray. And they say, God, do this, do that. Help mommy, do this. Be with daddy, do this. That's how they pray. Or the second prayer is thanksgiving. Thank you, God, for the dog. Thank you for the sun today. Thank you for... It's, it, they just go right into Thanksgiving, and their whole prayer time is Thanksgiving. And when I listen to Christians, that's basically how they pray. Here's how we're to pray. He said, in everything by prayer, supplication, with Thanksgiving. So prayer, prayer is actually the word for worship. So you approach God with worship, hallowed be thy name. That's what Jesus taught us. This is the same thing. He's saying the same thing. You approach him with, with worship, and it's called chapeling, where the, it's actually, actually a conversation that says, Lord, what do you want me to do, and how do you want me to do it, and can we talk about this, and here's what I'm thinking, and here's what I'm wondering, and you talk it over with him. When you do that, you believe that he will talk to you. He'll show you. Maybe you won't hear a voice, but your heart will say, you're on the right track. You go for that. Sink your faith into this thing. This, this is what pleases me. This is my will. So now that you've sorted that out in prayer, now you've got grounds to supplicate. You've sorted out what the will of God is. Now supplication is saying, Father, I'm asking that you do this. And then you go into Thanksgiving and thank you for doing it. You start acting while you're praying, you start acting as if it's a done deal, as if the answer is on the way. You can't do that unless you've prayed about it because your heart will condemn you. You won't have the assurance. The reason you can stand in thanksgiving is because you've supplicated based on prayer, based on what you worked out in prayer. And prayer is the longest part. Supplication takes one minute. Thanksgiving is what keeps your heart 
where every time it comes to mind, you say, Lord, thank you for that. Thank you, by the way. I know that's coming. I don't know when. I don't know how. But I thank you that it's on the way. I thank you that you heard me. I thank you you'll do what I've asked, what I've supplicated. But the, the way you get to that place of supplication is through prayer. A lot of Christians, when it comes down to it, they'll say, God, do this in the name of Jesus. And they, they exercise authority. They supplicate right from the bat. Right from the get-go, they supplicate, and then they go back to worrying or wondering. And God says, that, you know, I don't want that kind of relationship with you. What I want is come, come and let's talk about it. Let's talk it over. As we talk it over and you share your heart and I'll share my heart, out of that, you can supplicate. Once you've supplicated, you know he's heard you. Then you go to Thanksgiving. But I find, I find that if I just supplicate, I'm still worried. If I just go to Thanksgiving, I'm still worried. I have to sort this thing out in prayer. I have to find what my heart is saying. I have to find what he's saying, what I'm allowed to really sink my faith into. If you believe what I'm saying, if you actually do this, listen now, every prayer that you pray can be answered every prayer because you won't spend a prayer you won't waste a prayer on something that you haven't really sorted out in prayer is that helpful he doesn't want us to pray by rote he wants us to he wants our heart in the game he wants us to be sensitive to find out what to spend our prayer on, what to spend our supplication on, and then we don't waste it. Amen? Let's stand together. What do you want? What do you want? I mean, what do you really want? Not the big picture, but just even in the media, in the now, what is it that you really, really want? What do you want God to do in your life? Why don't we pray this? Lord, teach me to pray. Show me how to tap into your will. Show me how to tap into your purpose for my life. Lord, I don't want to guess. And I don't want to go down a road and find it's a dead end and it's empty. I can't afford that, Lord. Father, I want your will for my life. I want your purpose I want to be where you want me to be and go where you want me to go and do what you want me to do. Help me to tap into that. Father, stir my heart to pray afresh. Fresh desire, fresh incentive that I can see every prayer answered. Take me there. Take me there. Lord, I've lived a life of anxiety 
being pushed around, bullied by fear. I don't want that anymore. I want a, I want a peace that doesn't make sense, acting as a guard and a sentinel over my heart. I don't want to be anxious anymore, Father. Help me. Help me to break past that into a different level of prayer than what I've been doing in this past year. Take me there, oh God. Bring me to confidence. Bring me to assurance. Bring me to peace, I pray. One way to know what to be praying for these days is look at what you're anxious for. Just start there. Father, whatever you did in Ephesus to make him pray the way he prayed, do in me. Whatever you taught him, teach me. However he got to a place of being fervent in prayer. God, I want to be fervent again in prayer. I want to be on fire. Lord, help me to see it. Help me to see what he saw. Open the eyes of my heart that I can see that I'd be a man of prayer. Man that changes lives, destinies. Father, I pray for this church. You brought it together. You brought us together. You got us this building. Lord, we want the purpose that comes with this. We want the purpose. We want the reason you did that. You've done this. Father, release within us your purposes, Father. We want to do what you've destined for us to do. We want to become what you've destined for us to become. We want to accomplish what you've destined for us to accomplish. Father, show us. Get us there. Take us there. Show us how to come into this. Lord, that we could see our destiny and our purpose. We don't want to just go to church, Lord. We want to do something together. Father, I ask you to work a work in us. In the name of Jesus. Amen.